All right, thanks a lot. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank Collin in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Stocks dropping despite a surprise beat on retail sales. With the market's in a bit of a malaise right now, a September slump, if you will. What's going to get that record rally running again, and where are the opportunities for your money? We're going to debate that with our investment committee today. Brenda Vignello, Josh Brown, Jim Liebenthal, and John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. Bit of a down day. The S&P coming off its best day since the end of August. The Dow trying to avoid a two-week losing streak. And yields are on the rise. The 10-year at just about 1.33%. Lots to talk about today, guys, um, um, including just yesterday, we had J.P. Morgan's Dubravos Laco saying he remains very positive on equities. Actually giving us a forecast for the S&P to reach 4,700 by the end of the year, about a 6% upside from where we are right now. On the other hand, Jim Cramer living up to that nickname Jimmy Chill, saying there's nothing exciting about the markets. And then we have the professor, Jeremy Siegel, saying we're kind of in the eighth inning. We're headed towards a correction, but there's still more room to run. I want to toss things over to you guys. Doesn't look like the, anybody's told the markets there's more room to run. Every S&P sector in the red, in all fairness, consumer discretionary, almost flat. I'm going to start things off with you, Farmer Jim. Where do you see the opportunities for your money right now? Uh, well, thank you. I mean, this is a great discussion that we've been having all week, and you set it up nicely. Um, part of the discussion from this week, including uh, Jim Cramer, was the idea that the market can't rally unless the FANG names, which are about 23% of the S&P 500, rally with it. And I haven't had a chance, I haven't been on to say this, but that's just not true. Um, we saw last year from October of last year to May of this year that cyclicals rallied and the market went up while Apple and Amazon landed. And we're down at some points about 15 percent. So that's actually something I think you could see happen in the near future, that cyclicals, which have been beaten down very badly since May, uh, take the baton uh, from FANG and lead the market higher. For that to happen, though, you have to have the delta surge end. And here's where it gets a little bit tricky, because there's no catalyst for that. Uh, last year at this time, there was a catalyst in vaccines coming out. You're not likely to have that sort of catalyst. What you're likely to have is an easing of the negative catalysts. What do I mean by that? You could see supply chain shortages start to gradually ease. That would take the form of GM and Ford not announcing any more plant closures. You could see the port backlog at Long Beach and Los Angeles start to ease. You could see the caseload of Delta go down nationally and globally. Those are the sort of things that I mean. So there could be no catalyst. It could just be an absence of negatives that allows the cyclicals slash value stocks to take over the baton as they did last year uh, from the Fang Garpy names. You know, Jim, just to hit your point about the easing of those negative catalysts, uh, I actually think the uh, ships in Anchor at the Port of Los Angeles, they've actually increased this week, according to a note from City, I believe, from 49 earlier this week mm -hmm. to 53 now. But let's talk more about positive catalysts. Brenda, over to you. Are there any positive catalysts that will keep this record rally going? Well, I think I'll just echo some of Jim's comments in that we are in this period of increased uncertainty. We don't have certainty about whether, you know, these inflationary um, pressures are transitory or not. Uh, we don't have uh, a lot of uh, clarity on when the Delta variant will have run its course. Uh, we also have a lot of now news out of Washington that creates even more uncertainty there. So I think we're going to muddle through, honestly, until we get a little bit more clarity on any of these items. And I think all it would take is certainly, um, to Jim's point, some of the supply <laughs> chain problems beginning to alleviate, which, as you mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's not happening now. Um, so it's going to take a little bit 
bit of time uh, for that to start um, to get a little bit better. And then on top of that, seeing how the Delta variant um, ultimately uh, works its way through uh, the United States um, and whether or not we see some um, some alleviation there. But, but the numbers today were pretty encouraging on the retail sales side. Certainly people are still spending and there's still areas of, of pockets of growth. Like if you look at an Amazon, for example, the stock hasn't done much of anything for the last year and non-store retail was really strong this last month. So I think there are still some areas of opportunity within the market where we could see rotation into those areas and that could continue to drive the market higher or at least um, stay in a flat range that we've we've seen it stay in more recently. You know, I think we can all agree the Delta variant, that remains the ultimate wild card for the markets. Josh Brown, over to you. Do you see any positive catalysts coming or any signs that the negative ones, as Jim referred them to, those negative catalysts will ease? I don't, so thanks, Frank. I appreciate the question. I want to answer a different question that you didn't ask me, but only because I think it's going to be really helpful for the viewers. Um, there are a bunch of warning signs piling up in the market right now for that market-wide correction that we've all been saying we're hoping for or we expect or whatever. The S&P, the index itself, is only 2.2% off its highs. But there is, uh, th there is this situation we're back in where only 45% of S&P 500 stocks are still above their 50-day. And that is the lowest level since July. So you do have another one of these stealth corrections under the surface They've been happening for the last couple of years. They're very normal. We typically get through them when they resolve to the upside. Uh, and usually it's the best acting names that get hit last. And that might end up being the case. And that's how you get a, an S&P correction, not just a stealth correction beneath the surface. Um, so you're seeing the targets, the Costco's starting to give a little bit back. They're up so much. The overall market is still up 18% year to date, still looks great. Google and Microsoft still hanging near highs. Those are very important stocks. Apple and Amazon look a little bit worse, but not terrible. Um, so you, you've got that situation happening. And then some of the more severe stuff is happening in the materials and in the, in the industrials. The precious metals are getting choke slammed um, because now the inflation data is cooling off and nobody made any money there. So you see SLV down 4%, GLD down 2%. So that's kind of like my read on the situation. The stealth correction is okay. We've been through them before. But I think the bigger picture here, uh, late summer, early fall, is that none of this stuff is really important. Everything important that's going on is happening away from the markets. It's happening in venture-backed startups. It's happening in, uh, in, in cryptocurrency. That's really where the fireworks are, where all the activity is. And I just want to share a couple of things uh, to wrap up here that I think people should keep in mind. Um, we've seen $156 billion in just the, the second quarter of this year go into uh, startup funding. That is an all-time record for the ages. $156 billion in 90 days going into stocks that don't even trade on the exchanges. Corporate venture funding is even more explosive. It's doubled from the, from the, la the fourth quarter of last year to now. 1,140 deals funded by corporations uh, to the tune of about $45 billion in the last quarter. And that's up from an average of like $15 billion 
in all prior years. So, so Josh, we're let me really jump in here for a second. I, I don't want to interrupt it's your train of thought. It's just not in the publicly traded markets. Okay, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but it sounds like maybe you're agreeing with the with Bank of America today putting out a note saying that we're looking at a possible broad-based slowdown, but they're preferring growth. It sounds like you're saying that investors are looking for opportunities for growth over value right now as we face this potential slowdown. People are not excited about the economy anymore. They're excited about things that are growing regardless of the economy. I was at SALT on Tuesday. Every single discussion on the stage and off was about cryptocurrency. Nobody cares about anything else. So whether or not retail sales are strong or Caterpillar is selling bulldozers, literally, you could not find a less interested population of traders, hedge fund managers, uh, uh, business founders, CEOs. Nobody cares. The only thing that matters right now is off of the stock market and in the private venture back markets and in crypto. And if it's not about that, literally the response is a yawn. And I think that's being reflected in the malaise that we see in the S&P 500. All right, over to you, John and Jerry. And um, Josh Brown says there is an alternative. I remember last time I joined all you guys, we were talking about that Tina trade. There is no alternative other than equities. Where do you land with all this? Where, do you see some catalyst in the equity market to push things higher? Or are you also shifting your attention away? Um, well, uh, Josh and I have both been on that crypto bandwagon, and he's exactly right. I was hosting a panel and speaking at SALT as well, and uh, that is what the conversations were about. And it wasn't just Kathy Woods or Tom Lee at Fundstrat. It was virtually everybody to Ray Dalio um, or even to Scott Gottlieb. Uh, but anyway, uh, crypto's hot. It is a great alternative, Frank, as you know. But... Um, I would say that since the end of August, the VIX has jumped from 26 to 21. And the main reason for that, Frank, is, yeah, we did have a little disappointment in that most recent jobs report, but also September 22nd looms. So next Wednesday, I think we'll be trading sort of or meandering more or less back and forth, up or down one or two percent until the 22nd. I mean, on a rumor that uh, something, you know, that the Fed's leaning one way or the other, you know, some of the Fed speak that comes out ahead of that meeting, uh, that could be a trigger for an up move or a down move. But other than that, everybody's just waiting to see that the taper indeed does not start September 22nd. Instead, it's going to be the November meeting that Jay Powell and the Fed will make that move. And if that's the way it plays out, I think you'll see a lot of these stocks continue to go back to work. The VIX go back down. Now, Frank, just real quick, when the VIX is high, that is great for people like me or anybody who's um, selling call options and so forth, because you're getting a bigger premium. Um, it's like you're renting a house and the Super Bowl's in town. You can get a lot more for that VRBO during that week. Well, that's what's happening until September 22nd. You've got elevated levels of uh, the volatility metric, the VIX, for the S&P 500. Certain stocks in there, like I've rolled down a lot of my out-of-the-money calls that are usually 3 to 5% out-of-the-money, Frank. Right now, they're all at-the-money, and I'll probably lift that at-the-money and push them up um, after that September 22nd meeting. All right, that volatility index up right now, spiking. And you know what, John, that's a perfect segue, because I think you're right. You really have your finger on the pulse. Investors, they've really been struggling for direction lately, and it appears the landmines mm -hmm. for the market, they're only growing. Our Bob Pisani is watching them right now. What's up, Bob? And Frank, uh, I want to just pick up on what Josh was saying. I watched the advanced decline line, and it's been acting rather poorly for several weeks now, NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. When you have a 
more declining than advancing stocks. That's a much more narrow market. It, you have to have the market leadership really strong. It is with tech holding up the market, but it's not been looking particularly good. And I'll show it to you in a, a slightly different way than the advanced decline line. Let me show you the percentage of stocks that are trading below 20%, who are down 20% or more off of their 52-week high. About 15% of the S&P is 20% or more off of the 52-week high. This is another way of looking at you know, advanced decline and, and moving averages. Uh, but even more, 30% of the mid-cap stocks are below their 52-week highs, 20% or more. And almost half of the S uh, small caps are 20% or more below their 52-week highs. So we've seen particularly, of course, uh, the slowing and the reopening story uh, affect industrials, particularly retailers as well. If you look at some of the big industrial names and obviously the travel names like, you know, the airlines and the, the cruise lines, but FedEx, a lot of the material names like DuPont and PPG are 20% off their highs, Caterpillar, uh, Lockheed Martin, 3M, uh, notably off the highs. The retailers, uh, the big department stores, depends on what you're looking at, Nordstrom particularly, but Gap, Abercrombie, Kohl's is 20% uh, off raw stores. And these all hit their highs in the early part of the year, February uh, and March. Then this China slowdown, this decline in retail sales in China, just clobbering the luxury retailers. These are all based in Europe. LVMH is an enormous company, $375 billion market cap. That would put it in the top 15 in, in the S&P. So that's really hurting Europe this week as we saw those stocks really come down here. Then we have other issues. We've got supply chain and labor problems affecting the ability of some of the home builders to fully deliver on orders. And in the last few weeks, they've come down rather noticeably. Uh, and it's not the business is bad, just delivering orders and supply chain problems and labor problems. Then we have another thing separately with pharma, the concerns about drug pricing from the Biden administration or taking more control over drug prices, even though it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but that's been affecting big pharma. It's had a terrible month overall. Look at these big names here. So you put it all together, Frank. And even today, on a day with great retail sales and great Philly Fed, three to two declining to advancing stocks. So it's getting worse. Just one last thing on Josh's comment that nobody cares a lot about the broader <laughs> stock market. Collectibles are just on fire this year. You know, I collect old rock posters, but somebody just paid $3.6 million for the first Spider-Man comic. Nobody has ever come close right. to that kind of number before. For a 1964 comic book, $3.6 million. That's another industry that's really on fire. Bob, you're taking the words right out of, my, out of my mouth. I'm a big comic book collector myself. I have... Uh, the X-Men comic book that the Days of Future Past was based on, I'm holding on to it because it's just been appreciating and appreciating. Bob Pisani, thank you very much. Hey, hey, uh, hey, Frank. Yeah, hey, Josh. Frank, I think, it's very I think it's very likely that by the end of this year, CNBC is going to have a ticker of the top 10 NFTs scrolling under the screen during Squawk Box at, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we've seen this before. We saw this in the mid-2000s. You guys used to have an oil price quote literally on the screen all day right under where the Dow Jones Industrial Average was. And it's not, it's not that, oh, it was a fad. It's just that that was what was important to the market at that time. And I'm pretty sure there was a gold quote, a uh, permanent gold quote in 2011 uh, as GLD rose above SPY in assets under management, which was an actual thing that happened before gold peaked out. Yeah. It's very, very likely that the price of, of NFTs will be scrolling under us at some point before the end of this year. It's very likely that there will be a permanent ETH, BTC um, bubble on the screen to my lower right before this year is over. So when I tell you that that is what people are preoccupied with, 
that does have a feedback meaning for the market. Like there, there is some meaning there. We just don't know what, what that means yet. But it truly is the first thing people are waking up and looking at and the last thing they look at before they go to bed. What yeah. Apple and Amazon are doing is not. All right. Well, Josh, we know you're bullish on alternative assets, especially cryptocurrency. Let's talk to the rest of the investment committee, find out their likes and dislikes right now. Brenda, let's start with you. What are you looking at? We still think there's a lot of opportunity within the retail sector or consumer sector, I'll say. You know, the, the names that we hold there are Amazon, TJX, and Booking Holdings. So all those names have really lagged this year, um, and we think there's still a lot of opportunity. Obviously, there's still disruption happening from supply chains, disruption from Delta variant, but we think we'll get to the other side and that these will end up being, you know, great names from here. Um, so that's where we really see a lot of the most opportunity uh, within our within our allocation. So, Brenda, really quick, I had to ask you, are you at all concerned about some of the trends in retail like the XRT, for example, up today on those better than expected retail numbers? But over the last month or so, down a percent and a half when people are really out there buying. Yeah, well, we really think, you know, we're. we're we pick our spots. And so we don't have a lot of exposure to traditional brick and mortar retail. TJX, honestly, is the first name we've owned in a long time with exposure to traditional brick and mortar. But we own it because we think there's a great opportunity there, not only with the quality of the retail, uh, but also from a margin perspective, management should really be able to improve margins over time. Um, and also, given that a lot of uh, department stores have closed doors, so those are direct competitors, even though they're not in exactly the same business. Um, and and then Amazon, of course, where we think there's still going to be continued gains and shift toward uh, online retail. And we saw it in the numbers this morning um, that that is one area of continued strength. And then with booking, uh, you know, that's really a play on, on a return uh, to travel and leisure related activities, which I think we saw some of, definitely saw a pickup um, happen in the second quarter. Um, but likely a pause happening this quarter with Delta variant, but we think things will get back on track, hopefully um, soon, but probably honestly not until next year. But we think there's a good opportunity to add exposure here when now, the John, stocks haven't performed as well. All right, John, over to you. I, I kind of saw a glean in your eye when we started talking about retail. Not as excited about it as crypto, obviously, but what's your take on retail? Well, um, you know, Jim and you both talked about how many of those ships are stuck uh, outside Long Beach? And I'd heard, Frank, that it was even up to 60-some-odd ships. Um, and that's weeks and weeks to unload. But um, a lot of these uh, beneficiaries are going to continue to be beneficiaries of that tight supply. Uh, even though they'd like more to sell, of course, Frank, um, they're not having to cut price to move inventory like frequently happens with the Labor Day uh, holiday and so forth. Um, instead, they're able to get much closer to a retail. Now, yeah, they have you know, said that it's marked down 20%, Frank, or more. <laughs> but uh, a lot of these, like Macy's today, you look at how that one's performing. I own a number of uh, stocks in the retail space, including big box retailers like Walmart and Target. And I think they go well all the way through um, Christmas this year, Frank, because of tight inventories and demand being through the roof. Uh, because of the extra stimulus money, even though that stopped now September 6th and they're talking about trying to restart it. I think that's a no go. Instead, I think a lot more of this money will be spent at Christmas than any time in the past. Yeah, John, I can believe you. Uh, anecdotally, I was in the Nike outlet yesterday looking for some stuff. Nothing on clearance, not even at the mm -hmm. outlet. I went to the counter. I was like, is it no. on sale? They're like, no, it's just <laughs> not. Uh, Farmer Jim, yeah, over to you. I agree. 
Where are you seeing uh, a chance to make some money in this market? Is it out of retail? Is it crypto? What are you looking at? Well, it's probably no surprise based on my earlier comments and what people know of me that I do find the value and the opportunity over the next six months in the cyclical sector. So, I mean, some of this should make sense to people. I do believe interest rates will slowly rise uh, as, the, as the Fed begins its taper. So financials, money center banks, a good place to be. You can see where crude oil is right now. You can see discipline from OPEC and from the shale patch tells me that crude oil and natural gas prices are going to stay high, so I see opportunities in energy as well. I think the one place I would stay away from is what I call the hyper-growth area. Uh, these are the stocks that are measured on price-to-sales basis that have aspirational earnings in the out-out years that will come down as interest rates go up. So I only have about 3.5% of my portfolio in these. That includes Twilio, Salesforce, although it has earnings. And I would add to those on the dip, but I'm going to be patient there. Hey, Frank, there's one thing I want to point out, because I think uh, Bob Pisani's comment about the Spider-Man comic is illustrative of something. You have to ask yourself, who's buying that mm -hmm. and for what purpose? Whoever bought it, I don't know who it is, but I doubt that they're actually going to read it. I think it goes in a <laughs> safe somewhere as a store of value. And why would they do that? I mean, look at the second largest economy in the world, China, and what they're doing to their wealthy uh, citizens. They're confiscating their wealth. So people are looking for places to store wealth that maybe isn't as traceable as stocks, bonds. It might partially, although not completely, include NFTs and crypto. But $3.6 for a comic book, you have to ask yourself, who's doing that and why? I don't know who it is, but I suspect money is flowing out of China. Uh, you know, that's a fair point. I think a lot of people are buying collectibles and other things really to hold on to them. A lot of times you see those things stay in the box. Josh Brown, I'm going to come back over to you for a second. J.P. Morgan out with a note. I know you said that nobody cares about equities anymore, but J.P. Morgan out with a note today that, that uh, investors are piling into small cap stocks. Um, last week, the, the, the trades of small cap stocks up more than 16 percent. How are you taking that? I, I should clarify, it's not that nobody cares about stocks, it's that the market has really been doing nothing all summer. So what I'm saying is that people's attention is focused on, on where the fireworks are. And for the most part, what they're looking to do is fund private companies. Small caps uh, are not, small caps today are not the same as small caps of the past. They're mostly not growth companies. Small cap value is up 22% this year. Small cap growth is only up 5%. So I do think that that segment of the markets has benefited from a little bit of that rotation into value, into cyclicals. We know that there are a lot of industrials and a lot of financials in the Russell 2000, and most of those would be value stocks. Um, and then there's also some peculiar stuff happening there where like AMC is in the small cap value bucket, believe it or not. Uh, and that stock is up 2,000% year to date. So try not to pay too much attention to the, the uh, performance data of the Russell 2000 and try to extrapolate a bigger story from that. Um, the one thing that people forget, yes, it's an asset class, small cap U.S. stocks. No, it's not a large one. The entire thing is three and a half trillion, which I've pointed out is basically Apple and a quarter of Google. So uh, I guess it's notable that people are making money outside of FANG and large cap growth stocks. That's good. Um, but I, I just don't think it has bigger meaning uh, than, than what I've described so far. 
All right, Brenda, over to you. Do you see any meaning? I'm going to go back to that J.P. Morgan note. Uh, retail traders are getting out of large cap tech. That, was, that trading was down about a half a percent last week. The first week of September, it was up 7 percent. Where are you at when it comes to big caps? Where are you at when it comes to big tech? Are you putting any more money in there? Well, I think there are some opportunities, but others, I think, I don't think for fundamental reasons, they're just fine, but I think they're a little ahead of themselves. So, you know, we have uh, Google up more than 60% this year, um, uh, NVIDIA, which we still like, but up a similar amount. So we've had some really huge moves this last year, um, or it's not even the year, but year to date period, not let alone the year, one year is even more tremendous uh, from a, an appreciation standpoint. So I think there are some opportunities and some are not, certainly. So the areas that we would uh, consider within large cap tech are things like the Amazon that I mentioned, um, which really hasn't done a whole lot this year. Uh, Facebook is a little more um, attractively valued. But outside of that, I think the opportunity is elsewhere outside of tech within the large cap universe. Um, I will add, though, on the small cap conversation, you know, if we look at earnings revisions this year, um, they've been very strong for the S&P, I think up 27% since the beginning of the year. But they've been even stronger for that than small cap. And small cap now trades at a lower multiple than the S&P 500, the Russell 2000 does. So that's really telling and suggestive that perhaps there is some opportunity there, just purely looking at valuation. John, let me head over to you when it comes. Oh, sorry about that, Brenda. I hate to cut you off. Uh, John, over mm-hmm. to you. Let's talk about big cap tech. For example, Facebook. Brenda just mentioned it down about three and a half percent from its all time high back in September 1st, right around two week lows to you. Is this a buy the dip moment? Um, I'd like to see more of a dip to actually add to mine, uh, Frank. So instead, as I've said, I rolled down calls to at the money from about three to five percent out of the money. And that's been a combination of, I guess, good timing and or luck, uh, because I can't really, uh, I don't have a crystal ball for that either. I just thought we'd be nervous into the 22nd. Um, I'll throw one out there, Frank, that this stock is up almost 400% since Labor Day, and it's not a micro cap. It's a $3.5 billion stock. It's IronNet Cybersecurity, um, I-R-N-T. The volume in this one has been through the roof in both stock and options, Frank. And I probably couldn't have talked about it very much on air just two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But now uh, that it's gone, like I say, from $12 going into Labor Day week uh, to uh, 45 I think, today, even though it's about 38 right now, there was aggressive selling and a lot of profit-taking today as it spiked higher. Um, that's one of the areas. Cybersecurity, of course, if you have a real solution in cybersecurity, or in data mining, like look at Palantir, a lot of huge volume pouring back into that name again after people thought Kathy Wood was crazy to be buying on that dip. Well, they've been proven wrong and Kathy's been proven right. And I think cybersecurity, crypto, and uh, people in data mining are going to continue to just mint money. Yeah, cybersecurity, uh, more needed than ever, especially with a lot of people still working from home. All right, switching gears over to gaming. Yes, sir. Downgrades for both Las Vegas Sands and Wind Resorts, pushing shares lower. Some of our, our, our experts own them. We're going to see if they're sticking with them. That's coming up next in our call of the day. Halftime, back in two minutes. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update. Idaho is rationing healthcare resources as COVID cases surge. The state's largest hospital network is asking state health officials to allow crisis standards of care. That means that scarce resources like ICU beds 
are given to patients most likely to survive. Idaho has one of the lowest vaccination rates. The U.S., Great Britain and Australia have formed a new security alliance to help reshape relations in the Indo-Pacific region. The alliance will provide Australia with nuclear-powered submarines, a technology the U.S. already shared with the U.K. Meanwhile, China has said that the deal undermines peace and stability in the region. Tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight for more on the pact and how other governments are also reacting. And sources tell CNBC that New York Attorney General Letitia James is holding private talks to gauge support for a gubernatorial run. Current Governor Kathy Hochul, who took over after Andrew Cuomo resigned last month, has already said that she will seek re-election. James led the state's investigation into Cuomo's misconduct. You're now up to date. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Rahel. Well, shares of Las Vegas Sands and Wynn Resorts, they continue to move. Both of those casino stocks cut to neutral from overweight today by J.P. Morgan. John, kicking it off with you. You're long on Las Vegas Sands. I kind of see you as a crap table guy, too. Uh, maybe a little bit, Frank, but more 21 or blackjack. Um, the, the issue here, of course, is that China has just been doing this circular firing squad on a number of industries, Frank. So let's focus in on these for a sec. Um, they really came under fire because of what China's looking into with Macau. So anybody with exposure to Macau, and you named two of the biggest, Wynn and LVS, other than Melco, um, those are really under pressure. I'm long the October and the January 40 calls, Frank. I've written upside calls against them. But as both of those stocks slip, uh, you know, I basically have to, at some point, exercise that discipline and cut losses because it certainly hasn't been a good week for anybody who's in any of those Macau stocks, Frank. Jim, over to you. You own when you recently added to your position. You got to also name what game you play when you go. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I recently initiated it about a week and a half ago and added to it <clears throat> after the deluge uh, this week. But, you know, that said, when I bought it, I thought that the China news was already in it. Clearly, I was wrong. Um, the stock had come down from 137 to about 100. Now it's at 83. So clearly, I was wrong. But I'm sticking with it here. And I don't think that this is the time for the downgrade uh, or to sell it. And the reason why is this is not a primarily or purely Macau story. Uh, they have U.S. operations and they have online betting. Uh, those operations were 60% of EBITDA in the first half of this year. I got to say that it would be nice for Macau to come along and, and not be as bad as it's looking right now with China. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. The concessions in Macau are not up for renewal until next summer, June to be specific. So there's a lot of runway here. And I do expect Win in particular to bounce because of the geographic diversity that it has. Um, that said, look, this is obviously a volatile stock. It's 2% of my portfolio, which is below the normal size. I do recommend that anybody who owns it owns it in small size. As for my game, it's blackjack. It's a thinking man's game. All right, we go. I like that one. There you All go, right. Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Got some, some consensus on this What'd investment you say, committee. Well, a few more calls that we want to hit. Two bullish notes on Cisco Systems. It was just added to J.P. Morgan's focus list. A lot of J.P. Morgan today. An upgraded to outperform at Credit Suisse. Jim, back over to you. You actually own a Cisco. Yeah, there's a term we use in investing called steady eddy. And it's something that you can just rely on year in and year out. Uh, and that's what Cisco has been over the last 10 years, which is what I've, the period of time I've owned it. It has steadily performed with the market. And then when you add the nice dividend yield on top of that, you get a little extra. So this is not a stock that I'm expecting to be like a sales force and shoot through the roof. It's not a stock that's going to have the volatility of one of the casino stocks that we were talking about. It's a steady eddy. It just returns year in and year out. 
I don't have to worry about it too much. They had a very good uh, analyst meeting yesterday. Uh, and uh, although the stock is off a little bit today, even with the downgrade, that doesn't bother me. I, I think that this is a stock that over the next year you'll see 10 percent plus the dividend yield. All right, there we go. We're going to ask you, we're going to have a, a special guest appearance, if you will. Chipotle getting its price target raised to a new street high. Piper Sandler raising it to $2,600 from $2,235. The stock's rallied more than 35% this year. And Joe Terranova, he joins us now. You own Chipotle. Uh, just to stay on theme, what do you get on your burrito when you go? You've got to finish with that. <laughs> oh, Frank, well, I, I, uh, on that burrito, I basically get everything loaded up. And uh, after listening to Josh and John, I think I want them to add Bitcoin to it, have a Bitcoin <laughs> burrito. But uh, I, I, I purchased yep. I, I, I purchased Chipotle back on March 31st at around 14:30, so I have a nice cushion in the stock. It was added to my quality momentum index earlier in the year. That's one of the reasons why I looked at it. Uh, what we have here is Nicole Miller Regan, who is just a fantastic quick serve restaurant analyst. She has been the most bullish. Now she's really going out with an aggressive price target. So the question becomes, what do you do right here? Um, If you own the stock, I don't think at all you give consideration to selling it. You stay with it. If you don't own the stock, the question becomes, do you put new money to work or even do you want to add to your position? So there's two things to give consideration to. In the near term, the cyclical element is, look, all of the quick serve restaurants right now, uh, the bullish thesis is on a very strong U.S. consumer. If there's weakening in that U.S. consumer demand, then you're going to have a cyclical correction. If you have the evidence to support that, you wait. But the bullish thesis on a secular basis is all about the opportunity to expand the store units from where they currently reside for Chipotle at 2,800 units to ultimately 6,000 units. And guess what, Frank? You're talking about a franchise that only has 33 stores outside the U.S. So slowly expanding in Canada. They're adding eight stores this year. They're targeting Western Europe. They've got some stores in the U.K., France, and Germany. But that international expansion is what's going to grow the revenue over the coming years and ultimately grow the stock into uh, the valuation and and realize at that point that you could see the 35% upside to Nicole's target at 2,600. So I think that's a real possibility. We're going to have to leave it there. We appreciate it. Uh, Josh, I know you'd go for an NFT burrito, but really quick, you own Shake Shack. What's your take on the quick service market as we as we see the economy, you know, where it's at right now and the Delta where it's at right now? Yeah, listen, Shake Shack has has held its own through the pandemic. That period is now over. I think it accelerated a lot of what their growth plans are. And uh, I think that's for the better. It really forced them to get serious about uh, people ordering on apps, coming to pick up the food get serious about better delivery options and possibly even ghost kitchens in the future, which I think every quick service restaurant is going to have to wrap their head around. Um, And it also helped them come up with ways to repurpose existing stores in urban areas, more windows, uh, some Mm drive-throughs, which they hadn't really done a lot of. So I think like most cutting-edge, fast-growing quick service restaurants like Chipotle, uh, like, uh, like Shaq, there are going to be winners and losers. It's very hard to just look at the whole category and say I'm bullish and or bearish. Uh, so I think Shaq will be one of the winners. We already know Chipotle is the gold standard, probably the best company in the, in the world at what it does. And now you've got some new companies coming along. I don't know if you guys saw this Dutch Brothers IPO. The thing went up 41% on the first day. People that, that visit that store, 
in the Pacific Northwest tell me that it's going to invade the rest of the country like locusts uh, because once people start drinking their product, they can't get enough of it. So I think it's a, a dynamic space. There are always winners and losers. It's never a monolithic story. And right now, Chipotle is the biggest winner in this, in this group, and we should just uh, recognize that and understand why people are so bullish. Yeah, some other pressure for these quick service restaurants. Also, companies like GoPuff coming out with their own ghost kitchens. Uh, another uh, source of competition right there. All right, straight ahead. John's latest yep. trades coming up in Unusual Activity. Technology that pulls CO2 from the atmosphere is projected to reduce 15% of global emissions by 2050. City estimates global carbon capture investment will reach $120 billion per year to meet international goals. Oil companies could play an important role in the development of the technology. Giants like Baker Hughes, Occidental, and Schlumberger are key beneficiaries, according to City. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. All right, welcome back to Halftime for Unusual Activity. John, what are you seeing? Well, Big Frank, um, I've got T-Mobile as one of our bits of unusual activity today. And I bet it's because of the new iPhone 13 and the 13 Pro Max. Um, I think this is going to drive traffic into the stores, obviously online sales as well. They're buying the September 24th calls, and they've got quite a bit of upside there. They're 129 is the call strike. The stock was 126 this morning. Um, so these are only one week out, Frank. I'll probably hold them most of that week. Second trade, take a look at Twitter because a big trade went off in November. Now, this is a way out of the money call because the stock was 61 and change. And they're betting maybe it goes back to towards at least uh, the April highs of 75. I bought the at the money 60 calls, Frank. Since these are November, I'll probably be in them about one to two months. I do like Twitter here at 60, and I think it moves higher. All right, there we go. Coming up, shares of Chinese video game developers really getting whack recently from China's crackdown. How much exposure do U.S. game developers like Take-Two, EA, and Activision have to China? And do you buy them from here? Plus, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and CNBC is spotlighting contributors, business leaders, and our own employees. Here is CNBC talent producer Silvana Hanau. My mom coming here at such a young age, just 17 years old, leaving everything behind to start a new life, to find opportunity, just motivates me. As a Hispanic American in this country, as a first of my family to go to college and graduate college and watch my mom work so hard and sacrifice so much, just pushes me to work harder and make her proud. I want her to know that all the sacrifices she made have been worth it, that it's because of her and everything she gave up that I am who I am today. All right, welcome back to Half. Shares of Tencent, one of the hardest hit of the Chinese gaming stocks, down about 8% over the last week as Chinese regulators are really cracking down on Chinese gaming, slowing approval of new games and pushing for restrictions for minors. Billy Billy down about 11%. NetEase down about 6%. And this really caused a big dip in the $150 billion global gaming market. The Hero Gaming ETF 
also down over the last week. But the biggest U.S. names, they don't really have that much exposure to China. Activision Blizzard, maker of the Call of Duty franchise, for example, with the most exposure to China, right around 7%. EA, the maker of the Madden NFL game, and Take-Two, they both have minimal exposure under 3%. Now, keep in mind, EA took a big dip yesterday, but that was because of rumors of the delay of the Battlefield 2042 game from October until possibly 2022, obviously after the holiday season. Instead, that release is going to happen in November now. The stock rallied after hours. Wedbush's Michael Pactor is suggesting that investors buy the dip on these names, saying gaming, it's no longer just for the young. The average age of the gamer now, 35 to 44, according to the trade group for these gaming companies. John, you, bought, you got some puts in Billy Billy and Nettie's today. Kind of explain. Uh, not, not necessarily today, Frank, but yes, I do have them still. Uh, they were uh, going into Labor Day, Frank. Um, these stocks, uh, Netties and Billy Billy, were $90 stocks. They've both been hit rather hard. You just talked about the percentage drops. They were buying the 70 and the 75 puts in Billy Billy, and they were also buying in Netties um, the 92, more of the at the money puts. And some of these puts were being purchased way out in January. So we talked earlier in the show about that circular firing squad that the CCP is running against its own publicly traded companies. They're really getting these guys to march to their tune, Frank. So I would avoid those, and you just said it. EA, Take-Two Interactive, Activision, much better, safer plays than those that are being, like I say, shot by the CCP. Yeah, you know, with the people gaming into their 60s and 70s nowadays, a big horizon for these gaming stocks. All right, the committee's ready to answer your questions coming up next. To reach us, send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. And Half is back right after this. And the investment committee is answering your questions. First up, Josh. Ramos in San Diego is asking, why is Starbucks down today? Is this a good opportunity to add more shares to my portfolio? So I learned a long time ago not to try to understand the reason for a stock being red or green on any particular day. But big picture, I remain long Starbucks. And I bought it probably 100% ago at the height of the panic uh, uh, from the pandemic. And I, I'm staying long the stock. I don't have any plans to exit it. I think Starbucks will remain one of the best operators in the world. Uh, and I think uh, this is a company that will continue to pay dividends in the years to come and continue to find new ways to innovate, increase profits, increase revenue. Uh, so I want to be a shareholder here for the long term. All right. Next up, Brenda Cameron's writing. How do you feel about a firm compared to other payment processing companies? Yeah, so a firm is really a pure play on the buy now, pay later uh, payment um, uh in terms of payment processing. We think it's a real differentiator. We've seen a lot of more traditional payment processing companies make acquisitions of competitors of a firm, but we think a firm is really well positioned. They just announced a partnership with Amazon and have a, an existing partnership that's still in its infancy with Shopify. So we think there's a huge growth runway here. And we think if this, this method of payment is one that we think is really going to be more widely adopted as consumers realize that it really is a better deal for them. Um, in most cases, the consumer consumer is not paying any interest charge and is able to, to uh, pay for something over time. Um, and it's a much more transparent way of going about doing it. So we think this, this, the company is really poised to continue growing nicely. All right. Coming up on Halftime, final trade. Stay with us.
All right, time now for final trades. John, starting with you. All right, Frank. Uh, LVS, I know I was saying I looks like I might have to dump it. Guess what? They just jumped back in, Frank, and bought a whole bunch of March 40 calls. Love to see that. I'm in this one. Brenda. With all the talk of cryptocurrency today, I'm going to go with Coinbase. It is one of our newer additions into our portfolio. I think it's really well positioned uh, to benefit from continued adoption and trading uh, within cryptocurrency. Josh, you might have started a crypto theme. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going and I'm going back to General Motors. <laughs> I like the stock right here. <laughs> Jim, you got the final word on this one. I, I didn't see that coming from Josh. I thought I wasn't going to be the one who goes against the grain, but Cleveland Cliffs, you saw pre-announcements positive from Steel Dynamics and Nucor. Who do you think is next? Cleveland Cliffs, they're going to delever their balance sheet and return a ton of capital to shareholders. All right, thank you to the investment committee. That does it for halftime.